Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about resist the resistance. Dr. Everett Piper joins me and what Fight for America means. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Well, Election Day is finally here. I'm going to stand by what I told you all yesterday. I think that Donald Trump will win this election, win re-election, hands down. Maybe we won't have the results tonight, probably not, but I believe he will win the re-election and I'll talk about more about why. But what I want to talk about in this first five today is the astonishing resistance planned by some elements of the American left against President Trump, which ultimately means against the American people and the right of Americans to have free, honest, and fair elections. Resistance already planned and honestly kind of not hidden that far below the surface. There was a video call, a Zoom call, that was recorded, and I don't know who on the Zoom call was not supposed to be there, but they were. It was a Zoom call in which it was leaders of Black Lives Matter, the Sunrise Movement, and Shut Down DC. And it was a Zoom call where these people, you know, like I might have a Zoom call with a bunch of uh, friends organizing a political event, or other people have them for board meetings or other reasons they have those. This was a Zoom call, very patiently, logically, people showing their faces, talking about what they plan to do, how they plan to attack Washington if Trump wins. Or as they describe it, if Trump tries to steal this election, if Trump you know, tries to perpetrate a coup on the American people by, of all things, winning the election. The audacity is breathtaking. I'm going to save for later in the show a video, but one portion of the video that was astonishing and is actually available to anyone who wants to see it is a video that is people includes people in a Zoom call who are employees of the federal government, actual employees. Hi, I'm a lawyer for HUD. Yeah, I'm a so-and-so. I work for this agency talking about their assistance to these groups, to Sunrise, Black Lives Matter, and shut down DC, assisting them in this attempt to shut down Washington if Trump should win. Get more to that later, but I really want to do in this first five days, just briefly talk about where we are in this, on this election day and uh, where, what we need to do going forward. To start with, the radical left in this country, which actually I will say, let me restate that, the Democrat party in this country engages persistently in this uh, psychological phenomenon called projection, which is, it's a, it's a manipulative tactic, which is they accuse the other side, they accuse Republicans of exactly what they are doing. So in this election cycle, I have read on many social media websites, many places on the internet, people on the left complaining that Trump plans to steal the election. Trump won't go away if, it, you know, if he loses. Trump's gonna have to be dragged out of the White House. I mean, these inane things, when what's really happening is, it is the left who's basically telling America they are just unwilling to accept Trump and his reelection. But I wanna step back even further to say this. Part of what happens when the social media is so prominent and people can see things, see videos on YouTube, is we can get an exaggerated sense of the number of people and the level of fervor behind any movement. So for example, there are radical leftists, these shut down DC, the BLM, the Antifa folks, the Sunrise Movement, who are advocating for Biden's victory, but they are not really, they don't speak for any significant element of the Democrat party. And I say that in part because I had kind of a refresher course on all this this morning. This morning or today on election day, I've been working as an election clerk at a polling location. And, you know, you get up at 4.15 in the morning. You have to be there at 5.30 to set the whole thing up. And I'm obviously taking a break to come do my show. I'm going to go back. But the point is, there were Democrat clerks 
and Republican clerks. There are obviously voters of every political background and race, age, ethnicity, national origin, and everybody gets there. And there's just an overwhelming sense inside this very popular voting location of people loving to participate in the process, loving the idea we have free elections in America. And I really do think the vast majority of people who are supporting Biden for whatever reason they are, are as appalled about the idea of what the shutdown DC people are talking about as we are. The shutdown DC people are talking about, they have a, they have a day by day, uh, then they're not even hiding it, a prescription, an order, a marching orders toward their for their followers. So, you know, if Trump doesn't give in, they're going to first surround the White House. They're all going to meet in Black Lives Matter Square, and they're going to surround the White House, and then they're going to expand from there, and they're talking about which areas they're going to go to. They're going to create, and they, they use the expression over and over and over in this video, they're going to become ungovernable. They will simply say they're never going to stop unless they get their way and Biden wins and Trump is out. Again, not this is a, a small portion of radical, extreme, uh, they're not, you can't even really call them Democrats, although they're pushing for the Democrat candidate. These are radicals and extremists. But I want to point the difference between what Trump supporters are doing in this time and conservatives are doing versus what the left is doing. When President Trump has made given answers in debates and other instances where he's made statements about the idea of, you know, he was pressed at one debate, well, you'll accept the outcome of the election, right? I mean, you know, if a, if a nonpartisan entity says that you um, lost, uh, then you'll accept that, right? And he was pressed, and part of his answer, I think, gave a little bit of fodder to what the left was saying. But I think what's happening, and I think it's vital that we recognize the threat to our very existence as a democratic republic, if this goes on, I think that President Trump and literally millions and millions of his supporters are well aware of the determination of the left to win this election, to take over America at any cost. And that is part of, in fact, that's one of the slogans that these leftists are using is at any cost, at any price. We are going to force Trump out. And I think what you're hearing is the fighting back of President Trump and his followers just saying, if the results of the election appear to be invalid, if the results of the election appear to be that we had a, an overwhelming vote for President Trump, but somehow a flurry of last minute mailed in ballots, lo and behold, turning some swing states to the left, you're, you're hearing a president and millions of his followers saying, we're not going to accept that. We're not going to accept that we could actually have an election stolen, a, a presidential election stolen, because the left is unwilling to accept the outcome of the actual orderly process. It is a very, uh, it's a crucial time in America, this 2020 election. As I've said numerous times in the, la in the preceding months, literally is the most important election so far in American history. Maybe, maybe you have to count 1860, 1864, but leaving those aside, the most important election because you're really seeing a, a, a radical divergence between the views of the parties. But what you're seeing out of the left is essentially this, this argument that Biden must win, Trump must go, and at any cost they will drive him out. It really parallels or is very similar to the attitude of the radical tyrannical mindset of the democratic socialists, the socialists, the Marxists, the communists who've taken over the left wing of the Democrat party. They have that same tyrannical, we're entitled to rule. We don't care what the people think. We don't care who really won the election. We're entitled to rule and we're going to do it. That attitude of left wing socialism, tyrannical, you're, you're going to let us be in charge. You're going to let us, let us decide things is evident in this, what we see going on in Washington and around the country, threats around the country. I, I'll tell you, I was on a call, I've been in several um, pretty amazing calls recently. Uh, one was letting us know that the police departments in every major city in our country are saying all police officers on duty, no time off, uh, no one can be taking vacation right now. They're all on high alert in every major city. They are getting ready for violence. They're getting ready for the pushback. They're getting ready from the left, for the uh, left, 
to simply refuse to accept the outcome of the election, to engage in more riots, more destruction, more smashing of windows. You see all of Rodeo Drive is boarded up. All of, many of the main uh, arteries in Washington, D.C. are all boarded up. Areas in Dallas are all boarded up again. And so you just, this is a, a vital time in our country uh, where what you're watching is a, a leftist movement that has been going on for decades but has crescendoed to this point in 2020 where they think this is their time, this is their chance. They are enraged with the idea that Hillary didn't win in 2016. They don't want to let Trump have four more years to really drain the swamp. And they see this as a crucial time. These radical leftists see this as a crucial time to take over this country and they cannot permit the victory of Donald Trump. On top of that, they've had pollsters in their corner projecting over and over how Biden's going to win and it's clearly Biden, Biden's going to win most of the swing states. Biden's got it in his pocket. And so it is giving them, it's giving fuel to the fire, these polls are, to people if it turns out that Donald Trump does win the election. You, it, they have, they have, these polls have given the uh, radicals, the leftists, the ones who won't accept a Trump victory, kind of uh, fodder, just pointing to, that, you know, pr they would say proof that this couldn't be a valid outcome. But look what happened. You know, we had all these polls, Biden's way up, 11 points, 10 points, and all of a sudden he loses. And so I, I mean, I'm, I, I feel like I'm walking a tightrope in this first five today. Because on the one hand, there are elements of the radical left in this country who are just to say they are telling America we're not going to accept a Trump victory. And they are mobilized and they are organized. And you're going, they are, you're going to hear a portion of this call later we're going to talk about. They are saying we're not going to accept a Trump victory. And, but they are still, these radicals, are still a small element of the Democrat Party. They have not overtaken the average Joe Democrat voter, does not want the kind of conduct they're engaged in. And the, so, we, so, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very, very challenging time. President Trump has decided, on the other hand, the right, you know, he's pretty much held back and shutting down the riots. But when and if President Trump wins, which I think he will, the, it's going to be incumbent on the president to say, you know, we have a process, we followed the process, Trump was reelected, and there's going to have to be a major, major crackdown on the violence in this country. We cannot have America, have it become the norm in America that when the Democrats lose, when a leftist loses, that we all have to surrender our major cities, surrender our safety, huddle home, huddle our homes in fear, waiting until the rioters go home. We have to have a major, major reaction by this president to say, we're going to shut this down. This is not going to be the way America functions. So it's a very, it's a, you know, it's in, in a way, it's an exciting day. There's a lot of things. I, I have lots of news later about some of the swing states. I'm telling you, Pennsylvania, I feel nearly positive is going to go for uh, Trump. It'll be a huge win. Uh, we'll talk more about that. But I want to get around really in closing the first five to say this. It's kind of interesting what happens when you get to this kind of phase in an election. What the radical leftists are doing, the ones absolutely determined to get rid of Trump and to put Biden in, is planning how violently they're going to engage in a coup in an attempt to take out Trump to attack cities, to become ungovernable. That's what leftists do because their main goal is tyranny and control. What you see happening on the conservative right, what you see happening among the Trump supporters is it's an amazing thing how many in just this week prayer calls I've been invited to be part of, uh, uh, online uh, Zoom calls of prayer asking for God's protection and guidance and God's wisdom to, be, to bless the hearts of, the, of our voters. You see conservatives turning to prayer. You see conservatives turning to the idea, not discussing in for a moment the idea that we'll engage in violence. We're, we're going to shut down Biden. We're going to do something violent. You see conservatives turning to prayer, but you also hear a, a, a uh, I don't even know good words, a sturdy, a resolute, is an unwillingness of conservatives, including President Trump, to accept a fraudulent victory. And we should not. In this country, 
if there needs to be a battle over how we count votes and who's cheating and what, what's been happening is fair and not fair, we need to have that battle. We have to step up and have that battle. We cannot simply surrender to the left because they are the most violent ones, because they're the ones threatening us and safer seeming to just let them have their way. This may be a true battleground time in Texas, in America, because you're going to see conservatives saying, we're not going to accept the outcome of this election, not because they wouldn't accept Biden if he actually won, but because they have no basis to believe Biden actually won. They aren't willing to accept obvious fraud. We've had in the show recently, I encourage you to go back and listen to the interview we had with Russ Ramsland just last week, talking about proof he has that there has been in the past tampering with electronic voting machines so that votes cast during early voting are tampered with electronically, shifted over to the Democrat side and we have had no action on the part of any Republican official taking charge of that, looking into it, trying to make some plan or remedy to make sure it doesn't happen again. We have that kind of voter fraud. We've had the voter fraud we, we featured on the show, Project Veritas, showing what we had in San Antonio. We had a woman, two women, completely willing to, and because they didn't know they're being filmed, to say, oh, yeah, yeah. We can get you uh, 5,000 votes in this race for this amount of money and 25,000 votes in this race, in this county, for this amount of money. I mean, I, my sense of it all is, and I really will wrap up the first five by saying this. Assuming President Trump wins and assuming the Republicans hold on to the Senate and if they can gain control of the U.S. House, all of which I think will happen, job number one has to be a massive, massive cleanup of the election process massive. We're going to talk about that in the days going forward, all the things that could be done from the federal level, what pressure must be put in the states at the state level to force this cleaning of the voter rolls to increase, severely increase penalties for cheating in voting, severely increase any penalties for election officials that permit fraudulent things to occur, penalties on voters. We, you heard Russ Williams and say like there's already, whatever it was, 19,000 voters in this early voting who've already voted in Texas and Oklahoma, same voter, twice in one election cycle, there has to be a massive commitment because if we don't have that commitment to fair and honest elections, what we're gonna end up with is a republic where we no longer trust the elections. The elections are just left under the control of whoever manages to cheat the most. If you look at the history of voter fraud, election fraud, and I'm gonna do a review of this later in the week, it is not all on the Democrat side but mostly, mostly all of the major fraud uncovered, dead people registered, cheating at the polls, coming up with these schemes like Project Veritas uncovered is virtually all on the American left. And it's time for the conservatives, for the Republicans, for those trying to uphold the constitution, the rule of law, to put our foot down and say, no more of this. We need fair and honest elections. And this election cycle is, is proof. We hear all the stories we've all been talking about proof of the idea that America has a problem with election fraud and that it must be cleaned up. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. I mentioned before we started today that we had Everett Piper joining us. He joins us often. I love having him with us. Um, and he uh, is joining us by phone, I believe. So we have him uh, online just a moment. Um, he, if you recognize that name, Dr. Everett Piper, he is the author of Not a Daycare, um, a book that was uh, sprang off of a column he wrote when he was a president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He also has his own show. He also is a columnist for the Washington Times, and he's a great guest to have on, just an extremely erudite, articulate, and passionate advocate uh, for keeping Christian values front and center in the American political and cultural conversation. And with that, I believe we have Everett Piper. Hello, sir. Thank you for having me on, Debbie. I'm so glad you could join me. I don't know if we have Matt the Wonderful. Do we have his picture? Yeah, there you go. There we have him. There's Everett Piper. Okay. So, uh, Dr. Piper, you have these great columns. I love to always jump on them. And the one that might be most relevant today, since it's election day, you have a column called, Joe Biden is a pathological liar. Well, that, that's, a, that's a good start. I'd love to have you talk through, though, because I think that the word liar is flung around so often in politics that it become, or people assume, oh, everyone says that about everybody else. 
So I'd love to have you kind of go through the examples that you talk about in your column of why you say not just that he was caught lying once, but that Joe Biden is a pathological liar. Tell us about that. Well, first of all, the sources that I cite in this article are all, uh, 99% of them, are political left. Uh, for example, ABC, CBS, and NBC. No apologists for right-wing politics, obviously. Sam Donaldson, Leslie Stahl, Ted Koppel, Sean King. These are the sources I cite in this article. And what do all of these people tell us over the years about Joe Biden? Number one. He has said over and over again that he was involved as a leader in the civil rights movement in the 1960s. False. He never was. That's a blatant lie. It's not true. Sean King, a left-wing civil rights activist, takes Joe Biden to task and says that he's guilty of stolen valor because he's claiming to be a, a participant in the Selma marches. He's claiming to be a leader in the black churches of the 1960s. All false, not true. Then we know in 1987-88, Joe Biden started saying that he went to law school on a full academic scholarship. Not true. He had a 50% scholarship. He also said he graduated in the top of his class. Not true. He graduated 76 out of 85 in law school. We also know that he plagiarized major portions in his assignments and received at least one F from a professor in college for plagiarizing five complete pages in one of the essays that he handed in. We also know that he plagiarized speeches time and time again. He plagiarized from Robert Kennedy, from JFK, from Hubert Humphrey, and from uh, um, uh, John Ken Neil Kinnock, the former labor leader of Great Britain. He plagiarized their speeches. He plagiarized their speeches. And then he got caught. But here's the most egregious lie that Joe Biden has told. In 1972, his wife and daughter got killed in a traffic accident. They got hit by a semi-truck, a tractor-trailer rig on an icy day. Joe Biden immediately took to the stump and started claiming that Curtis C. Dunn, the driver of the tractor-trailer rig, was drunk that he was a drunk driver and killed his wife and daughter, Joe Biden's wife and daughter. Not true. A man who later became the uh, a Supreme Court justice for the state of Delaware exonerated Curtis C. Dunn and said there was no evidence, zero evidence, that he had been drinking and driving. Joe Biden is not a decent man. A decent human being does not make up these egregious lies. And these are not just Trumpisms of exaggeration and hyperbole. And I'll be the first to admit that Donald Trump needs to tone down his exaggerations at times. But don't anybody dare tell me that, John, that Donald Trump's Trumpisms, hyperbole to the extreme, are equivalent to the stolen valor of claiming that you were part of the civil rights movement, to, to ruining a man's life by claiming he was a drunk driver and a murderer of your wife and daughter, and then going on and on and being caught in plagiarism time and time and time again. The guy can't tell the truth to save his soul. He is a pathological liar. He is a serial deceiver of the highest order. I love that little summary, and I want to go back to the first one about the um, civil rights movement. I mean, all of them are offensive for, uh, in various ways. But the whole thing about claiming to have been involved in a civil rights, as a civil rights leader, having been involved somehow in Selma and the black church of the 60s, that is pure political, um, uh, what's the, I mean, he, what he's doing, he's, he's playing to the black vote. He's trying to garner support for the, from the black vote by claiming he was on their side. I mean, he's just, it, it is so patronizing, condescending, you know, that, that he could think he can lie about that and, and black Americans will be so smitten by his support for them, they won't bother looking in to see whether it's true. And I, I, among, I mean, I find all of them offensive for different reasons, but that just seems like it is so, it's entirely for political gain on his part, thinking he's going to dupe these ignorant black voters into supporting him because he'll lie about how much he cared about them in decades when he wasn't paying any attention to them. Uh, he, the man has been, and here's the thing, and we all know this to be true. Let's just be a little, uh, um, 
vulnerable as individuals right now. All of us, everybody listening to your show right now has been guilty of telling a lie at one point or another in their life. And we all know this, the more you tell a lie, the deeper and deeper you dig the hole. And there's a time in our lives when you are so deceptive and so repetitive in telling a lie, you actually start believing it. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden, I believe, at this stage in his life, has told these lies so often that he can't tell the difference between the truth and the lie. He doesn't know any longer on some of this stuff. He probably has convinced himself that these fabrications, these prevarications that he has been guilty of for decades, for, so, for at least 47 years of public leadership, he has been a serial liar to the point where he now has a sickness, the pathology, the pathological liar is sick in his own mind. He can't even tell the difference between the truth and deception any longer. I firmly believe that's where Biden is in his life. You know, on that topic of just convincing yourself of the truth or something, I had mentioned long ago, I don't know, on my show, the story about him having falsely accused the driver of the truck in which his first wife was involved in an accident, uh, falsely accusing him, the dad, this uh, driver was Curtis Dunn, um, of being drunk. And in fact, I remember years ago hearing uh, Joe Biden speak and he said a guy who drank his lunch, he had several ways he'd obviously worked into uh, presenting the story in his speeches and remarks that were clever, like he had worked on the language to make them clever a little, um, but he was approached, he, Biden, was approached by the daughter of this, the adult daughter of this Curtis Dunn, asking for an apology and asking for a, uh, a correction, just saying, my dad wasn't drunk, it was, it was the, the accident was thoroughly investigated, Delaware Superior Court Judge Jerome um, Harley oversaw the police investigation, his chief prosecutor said there was no evidence, so an actual investigation occurred, no evidence supporting his claim, but Biden said it and said it and said it. In fact, when he kept saying it, I think, I, I actually remember wondering if, well, maybe the, the investigation got it wrong. Maybe the guy was drunk. Why would Biden keep saying it? And that is a particularly bizarre lie because he's doing it to engender sympathy. He, Biden, is trying to engender, which you already have when you lose your wife and, and daughter in a car accident, who's ever, as it, as it appears from the, the police report story was, it, his wife was the one at fault. I think she ran a stop sign, uh, missed a stop sign, whatever. She wasn't, and no one was saying she's a bad person, but she ran a stop sign and it caused this accident. But it, to, to get to the point of to have to lie and, and attribute fault to this driver and keep saying it, it just, I, I just think there's something really bizarrely wrong with someone who would do that. And I'm, I'm, I realize I'm belaboring that story, but I, I find it astonishing you would do that to another human being. Okay, and then also, I guess, go ahead. No, I I obviously agree with you, and I think, again, you keep telling a lie for your own selfish gain. In fact, most lies that we tell are for selfish gain, for preservation or for uh, putting us in a position that we wouldn't be otherwise to gain something and win something and achieve something. That's why we lie. And Biden used the death of his wife and daughter for political gain. He made up the story of courtesy done, claimed he was drunk driving, no evidence to that effect, and he continued to do it for decades. Not just once or twice, for decades. And I think back to Bill Clinton when he said, I didn't have sex with that woman. I think Bill Clinton actually convinced himself that he didn't have sex with that woman. I think at first he knew he did, but then he started redefining and changing the definition of what sex is in his mind. We remember his equivocation when he says, well, it depends on what the definition of is, is. Yep. <laughs> so he was, able, he was able to manipulate in his own mind this lie into being marginally true in his own mind. How Biden can do this with these egregious examples is beyond me. The point is, this man has no business, no business being in the White House and the presidency of the United States because... A decent man does not lie like this. A devil does. A devil lies like this, but a decent man does not. I love that point. And I know that your article didn't touch on this particular aspect of Joe Biden's recent political history, but the quality, the characteristic of being willing to lie, and then once you've established a lie you've told, you're just going to keep on saying it, 
has, has followed him into the way he's handling the uh, discovery of Hunter Bi his son, Hunter Biden's laptop, all of the emails that now show that Hunter Biden was getting positions, uh, highly compensated positions for which he was completely unqualified, money flowing to him, Hunter Biden, a portion to the big guy, to dad. Uh, to, so, and, and emails showing this was, this was a pattern uh, in the Ukraine, in China, in Iraq, and, and yet you have Joe Biden stare at the camera and said, previously said, um, I've had no contact with my son over his business deals. I don't know anything about this. I don't know anything about these people. And, and yet now the emails are saying, no, actually you had meetings arranged by, but it's like this quality you're describing, Dr. Piper, this willingness to lie has carried him over into truly dangerous territory for America because he, Biden, has been taking money from China and the Ukraine and other places and now is in a position where he said, I, uh, that's not true, that's not true. And he's going to, apparently, if he were to win today, march into the White House, pushing that lie out there. And if past practice is any indication, just keep on lying about it. And I think that's a real concern about his, his character and whether he can conduct the business of the president in an effective manner. What do you think? Here's, here's, here's what they're going to do. If Biden wins, okay? And I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. I hope you're right. I, I appreciate your optimism and, and the spirit with which you approach today's election. But let's, let me be pessimistic. If Biden wins, he won't be president of the United States for six minutes. Now, that's hyperbolic. It may be six weeks. It may be six <laughs> months. But my point is this. Biden will not be in the White House long term. Here's why. Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and the squad they will declare him unfit to serve. And here's the way they'll do it. They'll say he obviously has onset dementia because he can't seem to remember events in his past life. And they'll point to some of the proof of his deceit in this China situation and Burisma situation. And they'll say, well, he wasn't intentionally lying he obviously has the onset of dementia. He can't remember. Therefore, he's unfit to serve. We need to remove him from office using the 25th Amendment, and Kamala Harris will become president of the United States. Mark my words. If he wins today, he's not the president. Kamala Harris will be within a blink of an eye. Okay, Dr. Piper, I have to tell you, one of my best friends in law school had this really funny expression. She would say, after I would say, make some observation, she'd say, I'm ashamed of myself. I did not think of that myself. What I mean by that in this context is I have been saying all along, obviously he's suffering. He's not early stage dementia. He's down the path a bit, very confused often. They can't let him stay in very often, very long. He's going to have to be removed. They're going to find some way whether he will gracefully do it or he gets forced out by Pelosi in the pack. But I had not thought of, and this is where I'm saying, I'm ashamed I didn't think of that myself, I, I did not think of the idea that that dementia argument is going to be the excuse the Democrats offer for everything he can't remember about Burisma, China, Ukraine, Iraq, Romania, there's a whole bunch of other countries coming into play now, and all of that will be not only the explanation, he's not a liar, he's just got dementia will also be the reason there can't possibly be criminal culpability for his actions. I Spot on. Right. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen if he if he wins. Lord help us if he wins. I pray I pray that he doesn't. But if he does, we really the, the American people didn't elect Joe Biden to be the president. He's a cardboard cutout. He, he's nothing. He's nothing, and he is suffering um, something. Whether it's onset of the Alzheimer's or just dementia, I don't know, but he's suffering something. And he's also suffering the pathological nature of lying for over a half a century about some major issues. And that will be used as an excuse to remove him from office. I think you're so right. As I, I actually, I often quote on this show, my best friend from law school, she was a very, is a very, very funny person full of quips and quick lines, and they're all, they often fit in conversations, and that was one of the best ones was, I'm ashamed I didn't think of that myself. But yeah, it is going to be the complete excuse for him. Well, you know what, Dr. Piper, I've, as we, we got started a little bit late today. Um, I'm not really even sure why, 
But um, I want to thank you. I'm so glad you're available to talk today. I love that we can um, connect uh, frequently once a month. And I want to ask you as we close out to um, our interview, tell our listeners how they can find you and your podcast. Um, go to dreverettpiper.com backslash podcast. And I'll, I'll spell that out. D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R.com backslash podcast. That'll take you to my daily radio show, The Rebellion. And you can also go to dreverettpiper.com and you can follow my writing for the Washington Times, a weekly columnist for them. And you can engage with me there. And uh, if you want me to speak or whatnot, you can go check out some of my speeches and that type of thing. Okay? That sounds perfect. And I will tell our listeners, um, I have heard Dr. Everett Piper speak more than once. He's on the show, which I love having him here. Heard him speak more than once. Stellar, stellar speaker. And I know, in fact, I will be hearing him again uh, in December of this year. I believe he's coming to the Dallas area to speak one time. If your organizations are looking for a very inspiring and entertaining and well-informed speaker, uh, you will love having him. So I encourage you to look into him. And also, I meant to make a comment to you, Dr. Piper. Your column is one of the few that I feel like I should have my dictionary next to me while I'm reading them. I am a word. I love words. I love the history of words and learning new and new definitions and learning new words. And I still, almost every one of your columns, I'm like, what is that word? And I have to look them up. So love your writing, love your, your help in improving my vocabulary. And thank you so much for joining me. Hey, take care. Thank you, Debbie. Bye-bye. Take care. Okay, folks, uh, he's just a great guy and would uh, be great as I say, a great speaker at your organization. So last thing I was going to hit today, um, it's election day. And I want to just talk through a bunch of things about election day and moving forward. First of all, I sent Matt the Wonderful um, a clip. There are actually two clips. The uh, a second one I can't get to, and it's actually okay that I can't, because I've learned since then that YouTube took it down as, as in violation of their community standards. But to be very quick, if you missed the first five, there was a Zoom call between three, among three organizations, the Sunrise, uh, which is a radical leftist um, organization, anti-American, take down America, Sunrise Organization, Black Lives Matter, um, and Shut Down DC. And this is like a real Zoom call. You can see people talking on it. And what they were doing on this call was very openly talking about, we got to put our lives on the, ri- on the line. We have to take risk. We're going to go in there. We're going to go to Washington. And if Trump wins, if they think Biden, you know, if if Biden doesn't win, if Trump wins, if Trump, you know, we're going to attack the White House. And they were talking about identifying on a map where the police departments were located, using their sources inside the federal government to help help them figure out where they could go safely, where the police would be. It was a absolute strategy call among radical leftists determined to get Biden into power, determined to take down Trump. And let me say, kind of add on to that, I believe Dr. Piper is right. Not only that uh, Joe Biden won't be president for five minutes, but an even deeper thought about that, these people, these radical leftists in this country, they're only, they're not even 5% of the country. They're a very small segment. But there have been many revolutions in this world, many overthrows of government by very tiny factions, tiny portions of a population in a country. We had Trevor Loudon on the show recently. If you didn't hear that interview, you should go back and hear it. Trevor Loudon, he talked about, and I don't have the exact numbers in my head. I didn't have time to look at them today, but he was talking about, for example, when Fidel Castro took over Cuba, he basically had two or three hundred other people to take over an island of millions. But when they were radicals or revolutionaries, they were organized, they have a plan, they did it. They did not have the majority of Cubans behind what they were doing. They took over that country. He talked about Vladimir Lenin back at the time of the, of the revolution in uh, overthrowing the Tsars in Russia and how Vladimir Lenin had, it was something like whatever it was, and a few thousand at very best people 
behind what he did and he overthrew the entire Tsarist rule and inflicted the misery of communism on Russia for decades. The point is, it is a tiny portion of Democrats, of radical leftists in this country who want to do this, but sometimes in history, it's been a small but radical group that has succeeded in taking over a country. These people are saying they're unwilling to accept the will of the American people, the will of the voters to elect the next president. They're saying, no, you can't have your will, America. You can't have your election system. You cannot have a system that you have in place in the Constitution and the federal and state laws in this country. We're going to decide who's president, and Trump can't be it, and this is where they are. They're a tiny, militant segment of the left. And to be very clear, it's not just that Biden will be gone in 10 minutes after he's elected, if he were to be elected, because he's not there mentally. He's got some serious mental deficiency. But even what, even deeper than that, it's not that Kamala Harris will suddenly become a perfect uh, implementer of what these leftist radicals want. It is that they think what they're trying to do is bring to America the Marxist revolution they always want to have, and they see the Kamala Harris presidency or whoever else is put in, whatever, the, whatever stunt the Democrats come up with, to wh whoever going to, they're going to have in charge of, of their party and become president, these people are seeing it as a Marxist revolution, and they think it doesn't really matter who gets in, they're going to be calling the shots, they're going to be arm-twisting, they're going to be telling whoever is occupying the White House, what's going to happen. That's where these people are. So there were two videos, be clear, one video was the actual Zoom call among Sunrise, BLM, Shutdown DC, faces on camera discussing what they were gonna do, uh, supply list being put out, what you need for the march, what you need for the battle, what you need for this. These are, these are people who are not just abstractly discussing, maybe someday we could possibly overthrow Trump. They're talking about, we're going to do this in the next few days. That video has been taken down by YouTube, shockingly, uh, because it makes Democrats look bad. But the other video, which I did send them out, the wonderful, of these actual employees of the federal government online talking about how they're going to try to help the resistance, how they're going to help the resistance which is what they're calling themselves. And I call the first uh, segment of today's show, Resist the Resistance. I didn't kind of cap that at first five as well as I wanted to. There is a resistance movement in this country, a radical leftist resistance movement in this country. They do mean America harm. And our job as conservatives, as patriots, as supporters of the Constitution, people who want to have America the great still be great, is to resist them, is to not give an inch, is to not, if they try to steal this election for Biden, if they try to bully the American people into agreeing Biden can be president because we're gonna have civil unrest as long as Trump is president. We can never, 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 never give in to that. We cannot decide as a people, well, to get peace, We'll just give in to these crazies, okay, 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 they want Trump out, we'll let Trump, we'll get Trump out, we'll let whoever they want in. We cannot even begin that process. These people are radical, they are extreme, and they mean it. They are also a tiny portion of the left in this country. They are not, there's not a staggering majority in this country, there's no, even of the Democrat side of the aisle, who want what these radical crazies want to do. But the job of conservatives is to stand up to resist this resistance, which will mean after the election, what we have to do to clean up and to try to prevent this kind of thing from happening again. But first I wanna ask Matt the Wonderful a quick play. This is a video, a conversation on these people not realizing America would see it. Actual federal government employees participating in the conversation of how they're going to help the resistance take down Trump. Here it is. Let's talk about what actions and decisions are in your immediate sphere of influence as um, somebody who works in the government. I'm a management and programs analyst. I work in the national security community. I spent three and a half years um, as a contractor at DHS HQ. If you read the mainstream press, like they all have signal accounts, text them, leak everything you can. 
The journalists I've dealt with have been super ethical in ways to shield me to be the source of the leaks. Groups on the outside being able to show uh, solidarity with federal workers. Making sure that we're naming what is happening as a coup. Totally agreed in the shutdown BC conversations that I've been having and that's not on the federal side. We um, also are often saying, like, call it a coup. It's a coup. Don't let anyone tell you it's not. President Harry S. Truman famously said, I thought I was the president, but when it comes to these bureaucrats, I can't do a damn thing. So the bottom line with this is that we all, as ordinary people um, and as federal workers, have power. If masses of people engage in non-cooperation, no ruler can stay in power. Bureaucracy is a really powerful pillar. And, you know, federal workers have unparalleled familiarity with the bureaucratic process. They know how to speed things up. They know how to slow them down. They have access to critical information about policies that are being considered and implemented. They can participate in internal decision making. They can provide or deny knowledge and expertise that those um, at the top of the bureaucratic uh, totem pole need. It ultimately comes down to individual decisions and personal choice. Deciding what to do or what not to do is a very personal decision. It's based on context. It's based on your rank, on your tolerance for risk, um, on your preparation, and frankly, where you sit in the federal uh, federal bureaucracy. And we're talking about the range of different tactics. Um, we talk about acts of commission and acts of omission. And another act of commission, albeit highly um, you know risky, and there are a number of um, uh, great downsides is leaking. So leaking information about pending or actual policies with journalists, with activists, influential people on the outside. So another act of, um, uh, of commission is creating parallel structures or self-organizing units. So organizing in the office place, in the workplace. As an attorney in the federal government, um, I, I am finding the chat uh, suggestion it's very interesting, and I just do want to remind people that we lose our status as federal employees if we strike. And there's been a little conversation going on here, for example, about Black Lives Matter and how that is an example of a nonpartisan political statement. I guess that's been previously litigated, but whether or not you do a misdemeanor or an infraction on federal property or on public property um, really doesn't affect uh, most of the jobs uh, that you would be considered for. Just, okay, just I got to cut. I got to cut them this off because I'm yeah, not as an attorney, I, I think I'm. A yeah, let's cut them off. I want you to understand how serious that is. First of all, these people are acknowledging. In fact, Ronald Reagan talked about how difficult it was when he got to Washington, and he thought, "Okay, I, I ran on. I have a mandate. I'm going to do the following things." He recognized how powerful the federal bureaucracy was in simply blocking his agenda. The American people chose it, they elected him, he's in Washington, he's able to participate, he's able to name, he chooses the head of all these agencies, but beneath the head that he chooses are these legions of bureaucrats, the, like people on that Zoom call, who have figured out they have more power than the head of that agency. They have the power to stall government, to interfere with the actions of government, to interfere with the policies the president is trying to implement. These people are engaged in, and they actually, I want a quick thing. When they were first talking uh, about the idea of coup, they were trying to convey that they were, to encourage each other to use the word coup to refer to if President Donald Trump was duly reelected. They want, they want people in their leftist circles to call Trump's re-election a coup. And then they are talking about the various ways they can engage in essentially undermining, hassle, undermining the president, refusing to follow his policies, undermine the agency directives they have, influence public opinion by leaking things, letting people know what's really going on, slow rolling some things you're supposed to get done, uh, refusing to do some things. This is their very conduct, my friends, is a coup. What those people were talking about on that video, that is a coup. 
It is people in unelected positions in the bureaucracy in our government deciding that their views, their preferences, their policies, their preferences are what are going to be in charge, are going to be implemented by them because they have power in the bureaucracy to prevent the bureaucracy from following the instructions of the president. So if President Trump is reelected, among the main things he's got to do, I'm going to wrap do these two things today, but what he's got to do if he's reelected. One is he has got to do, as we were talking earlier today about all the efforts at undermining voter fraud, cheating and voting, he has to put in place every single possible federal law that will clean up voter rolls, make massive punishments for voter fraud. Somebody who votes, as we were hearing about earlier in the week, in Oklahoma and Texas should be facing, I don't know, five years in federal prison. Make them scared to do it. Put penalties in place for people engaged in voter fraud in federal elections. Whatever is a constitutional limit for what the federal government can do, because constitutionally, you know, elections are supposed to be in the province of the states, but the federal government has some power. And to have the federal government put in place every conceivable possible criminal and civil penalty for anyone engaging in voter fraud, forcing states to clean their voter rolls, get to weed out people who are no longer with us, who are deceased, or who have moved away and are registered in a different state, forcing cleaning the voter rolls, major penalties for voter fraud, major penalties for the kind of people we saw in the Project Veritas video. There has to be both the messaging from Washington that says we're not putting up with a smidgen of voter fraud anymore, not a smidgen, and the whole notion that the national conversation is now wide open, is happening, we're going to have this conversation in America, we're going to stop vote fraud. This is number one, I hope, a number one agenda item of President Trump in the second term, if he were to win it. And then the second thing, and there are many other, many, many priorities, but the second thing relates to the video we were just watching. To say that President Trump needs to complete the clean out, the draining of the swamp in the federal bureaucracy does not, that, that, that is a, a tip of the iceberg description of what the president needs to do. These people sit on this video, obviously not that concerned, their faces are being shown as they're talking away about how they're helping the resistance, helping people who want to bring down the duly elected president, helping people engage in, in frustrating policy decisions the president puts in place. These people are themselves committing a, this is my opinion, is treason. They are committing a coup. They are deciding they're not going to follow the dictates, the way law is supposed to work. They're not going to do their jobs in accordance with what the president has, the Congress has passed as law and the president has implemented as executive orders. They're just not going to do it. This cleaning out of Washington, D.C., this draining the swamp in the second term of President Trump could be the most effective thing he could do. There are many, many, many other things he needs to do in his second term, but this one could help write the course in America for decades to come. Because among the things, and we've talked about many other times, I can't go into it today, but we're gonna hit it sometime again soon, the other clean out of the swamp, which is amazing. Here we are at election day, 2020, and still not one swamp dweller in the entire Russia collusion hoax is being prosecuted. Just think about that. A massive hoax, a massive effort to remove the duly elected president by cooking up a lie, cooking up a completely fabricated collusion between Trump and Russia, and no one has been prosecuted. They're all sitting there praying that they end up with a Biden victory today or whenever we finally know the results because they figure under a Biden administration, the corruption of the Democrat party will continue. The corruption in Washington will be swept under the rug. All that they engaged in inside the FBI and the DOJ and the CIA and the NSA, all of it will be swept under the rug, move on, game, set, match. They're done, no, pot, no consequences, no responsibility for the actions they took. 
This is what they think and hope will happen. And this is what if President Trump wins his second term and can hold on the Senate and maybe take the House. If all that happens, there needs to be the massive cleaning out of the federal bureaucracy, the massive swamp training, including finally getting in an attorney general who will go after all of the Russian collusion hoaxers and a whole bunch of other folks in Washington who've been sitting fat and happy, sitting inside their jobs in the bureaucracy, safe from prosecution, safe from being even investigated, as they have continued to try, as you saw people on that video talking about, they think they're running the country, and in some crazy way they have been up until now. Whole lot more, folks. We're on Election Day 2020. I'll say it one more time. You know, this is, I understand what the polls say. I understand what the polls say about uh, all sorts of states. Uh, Trump is going to win. And my, 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 this is my, you know, I don't have any inside information. I'm just telling you, based on my observations of the crowds he sees, the effusion he's brought, uh, the lots of uh, indicators on the ground in Pennsylvania, he's likely to take that huge swing state. He's certainly going to take Texas. That was a complete farce the media floated about the idea that Texas might go Democrat. Texas is going to go Republican unless the massive cheating scandals, which have been uncovered, manage to succeed somehow. But I think Trump will win this election, but we probably won't know the answer tonight. We probably won't know the answer tomorrow or Thursday. But whenever we finally know, you know that I'll be here to cover it with you. I will cover it from a hundred different angles, including such things as the women's vote, what kind of cheating scandals appear to have worked, what the, poll, the exit polling was saying, what drove people to the votes that they made. We will, of course, dive in and talk about all of that. But what I really want to get to in closing out today's show is this. Whatever the outcome of this election, whatever it is, the fight to defend and preserve America must go on. The fight to defend and preserve America is not about just making sure one particular political race came out the right way, even this presidential election cycle vital as it is to America's safety to have President Trump win re-election. But the bigger goal, and why I do this show, and why I do my political speaking, why I write, why I go everywhere and talk all over the place about preserving America, is because the larger goal is not just to get President Trump re-elected, it is to fight for the preservation of America, to fight for the preservation of the unique, extraordinary idea of a country founded on the Declaration's promise of rights of the individual's rights from God given to each of us simply because we were born, the ultimate responsibility of the people, the patriots of every generation to understand that, to enforce it, to hold on to it, to use, to take those ideas and, and, and demand that they be followed in every generation. The promises of the Declaration, the uniqueness of the Constitution, protecting and preserving our freedom, the Bill of Rights, all of those pieces, all of those pieces that made America and keep America strong and great and free and robust and full of opportunity and promise, all of those, those are fighting for those is what defending America is. Fighting for those, speaking up for them and defending them is what really constitutes the fight to save America in the future. And that's what my show is dedicated to. I get off on political campaigns because they matter, but the larger, bigger picture is the mission of the patriots is to preserve this country. And that means preserving all of the ideas that made America great. As I do at the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started today, resist the resistance. The proof is not is out there now. And I'm sorry that got into blue ink there. I wasn't supposed to do that. But you can see this website. It is at expose sunrise.com. You can see that video I was playing a portion of the, the government workers colluding with the uh, people who want to overthrow Trump. So the website is called exposesunrise.com. Federal employees, I call them deep state, participating in plans to disrupt DC in the White House if Biden loses. Small number of loud and violent progressives threatening a bloodbath if Biden loses. Left plan to revolt if Trump wins. All threats of post-election violence are coming from one side, the left, Democrats. <clears throat> Exposed plans for election fraud, cheating, are coming from one side, 
the left, the Democrats. Democrat leaders cannot escape responsibility because they never denounce this. Americans have awakened to the 2020 reality. The left, the Democrats, have left the American playing field. They are profoundly anti-American. Their objective is to destroy constitutional America. The 2020 awakening can serve America well if patriots stay firm and engaged. No to riots, no to lying, cheating, stealing, no to the left and the Democrats. And what it means to fight for America, no matter the outcome of any election, Fighting for America means striving to preserve individual freedom and responsibility under God, the Constitution, and the rule of law, opposing state-controlled society or top-down elitist ruling class. It means the rights of we the people are recognized and protected as forever unalienable. These two concepts are unique to America's founding and unique in human history, forever opposed by leftists and atheists who perpetually seek control over others. And these two concepts are in need of wider understanding. The fight for America will never be permanently won. It'll always be an ongoing battle. The fight for America is really the fight for humanity's freedom. Every American generation must learn the stakes and then take their stand. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today, Election Day 2020. If you have not voted, get out and do it. I think everywhere in America, polls are still open. Please get out and vote. Vote to preserve this country. Vote to preserve the extraordinary experiment in human liberty that is America. And please know when you come back to this show, America Can We Talk, every day, I talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Can you hear America, can we talk truth about America? Can you-